Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today the guys review Guildmaster, Raiders of Scythia, and Seastead. Tony and Donna will talk about My City and their latest puzzle. My brother Bob and I will give our thoughts along with Marty on the latest Arkham Horror expansion, Under Dark Waves. And last but not least, Marty does a book review? When did you read a book? And welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 212-212, Gypsies. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't tell me what it was, Marty. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, that's it. That's the name of the song. All of a sudden, I had it, I had it going, Thieves and Tramps and Gypsies. No, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. No, no, I couldn't remember what it was, but I'm Tony. Oh, Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, if you had some caffeine or something, and uh, I, I'm Marty. Uh, yeah, gypsies, trans, and thieves, which we just mentioned like right before we started. And so when you went gypsies and you did this pause, and I thought, is he gonna sing it? What What's getting ready to happen here? It was It was called one of those things where your brain just suddenly locks down and says, "Oh, that's five dollars." And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't do it that way. Oh, so but before we get started on the show, there's something very important on my mind that we need to handle now. But we've kind of started the show, so it's not before we've started. It's already begun. Well, I consider our banner not really the show. I just consider the fast forward and I don't want people to quickly jump past it. OK, OK, gotcha. So I want them to pay special attention to this before they hit fast forward uh, three times or whatever they do when they listen to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. So the first thing is I was fortunate enough to get uh, my E-Win chair. Yes, I see that uh, you, you have it there. It looks nice. You got the all black one. Let me just say, if you are looking for a chair for your gaming needs, not for your board gaming needs, because I'm now got the Switch set up, I'm playing with it, I'm rocking back in the chair, getting a little Skyrim action happening going on. I'm sitting in this chair and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not uncomfortable. I can keep playing <laughs> Skyrim for a while instead of like at the couch. So I'm like, this is, this is pretty solid. I'm glad I finally got one. And, um, I got the champion series. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you go out there, be sure to use RDTN for 20% off. And that doesn't matter the price of the chair because right now they're running a special where it's at a certain level is 10%. Another level it's 20%. RDTN gets you 20% off of the E-Win chair. Now, Marty, you know, I'm a whiner and a complainer and a non-grumpy guy. Yeah, right. I will say this though. Be sure to use their sizing guideline. Does your chair come up and hug your hips? No. Okay, the champion series comes up and it and it squeezes the the, the hiney. Mine's a champion series. Well, your butt's not as big as mine. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get to. Yes, I mean it's there. I mean it's kind of like it. It kind of you kind of wedged in there, but it's not uncomfortable by any means. It's not uncomfortable. I'm just not used to that. You know, you're used to that flat. Yes. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes. No, it does have like the the padding that comes up on the left and right side of your little hiney, so that kind of you know you slide into play. You won't slide off the edge. Unless you armor all it. Wow, what in the world just happened over there? <laughs> I talked with my hands and I flipped I flipped my computer, not the not the tape, not the game, not the board. Oh well let me ask you. What did you think of the assembly of the chair? The assembly was spot on. I mean the video was well uh, I'm not supposed to complain, <laughs> but but I got these instructions and they didn't match my chair. Oh really? No, they they were for the um, other series, uh, the the one ninety nine series, and I was like, okay, wait a minute, this is, isn't matching. It's not, but it's pretty much the similar. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. So it was, you know, so easy, barely an inconvenience to put together. 
I was pleased with that, but I watched the video and mm-hmm. I followed that instruction one minute and something on the video and their little, um, hex nut, you know what I'm talking about? Driver? The hex, yeah. yeah. Theirs goes a lot faster than mine. It just spun around. It's an animated and it just quickly did. Mine didn't go. Mine just went churn, churn, churn. I was like, good God, how long are these freaking screws? Wow. Okay. But but I got rid of the lumbar support. The lumbar support is gone. I don't have lumbar, so I got that that piece of crap out of my chair. I, so what do you like about the chair? Well, it, it, it's squeezing my hips. That's kind of nice. <laughs> I enjoy the rocking back feature. Whee! And the other thing, I like my the little neck pillow. I don't know what the what the freak is that neck pillow for? When I lean back and all it, I guess it cradles my neck. Yeah. And I do like the lumbar support because I, I like the uh, pressing up against my back right there. And if you ever, you know, you got the uh, lever on the right hand side, you just lean the chair right back like that. Oh, yeah. That's what, the little, that's what the little pillow's for. And, and maybe that's what we should do with the podcast. We both lean back in our chairs <laughs> and it would probably be solid 90 minutes of napping. And people will be like, what in the world are those two up to? <laughs> I do I do wish the armrests were a little padded. They have a little bit of padding to them. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, I'm just like, man, give me a little bit more comfort there. But other than that, I know he's complaining. Why is he even talking about this? Because, people, RDTM promo code gets you 20%, which leads me to my next thing, Marty. What's well, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's the website? I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. It's <laughs> so e- how will people know where to go? They don't, They need to know to go to ewinracing.com in order to get the, the 20% off. So you got a chair. I got a chair. I still love mine. I've had mine probably about six months now. And you said not use it for board gaming. That is bogus. If I could roll this up to a board game table, I would do it in a heartbeat. Don't tell me you wouldn't either, mister, because when it's not your turn, you just lean that sucker <laughs> right back, pull your switch out, and wait till it's your turn. Fair, uh, very fair, very true. I could okay. I'm good with that. I'm checking the chair out right now, thinking how could would this work for me? But yes, yes, it would. Yes, it would. I mean, because you got you got the armrest that will rotate in uh, and out. They slide in and out. Then they rotate on the axis from their support. They slide in and back. They slide forward and back. How do they slide? How do they rotate? I don't. Where's my rotate button? It is not a rotate button. Just grab onto it and like twist them in towards you. Oh, oh, oh my God. I'm Star Trek. Oh my God. (laughs) Engage. Lock me down. We're going into battle, baby. Let's go. And I guess you notice the buttons on either side that let you slide in and out with the armrest. Yeah, back and forward, in and out, and all that good stuff. And then up and down, obviously, works really well. And then the tension so there you of go. it. Yes. Love, loving the chair so far. I mean, actually, it has been, uh, I wish I'd had this six months ago when we were working from home. This would have been a lot more comfortable. And I got a lot more productive, but uh, mm-hmm. neither here nor there. But as I'm continuing on down the line, is. All right. Another promo code that we don't talk about enough, and that is our BGG store code, RDTN, right? It's actually a link. Where do they find it's a, this link? It's, it's, an, it's an affiliate link. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, sh- oh, it will. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it sure will. <laughs> There'll be a BGG store uh, link, affiliate link for, uh, to go get uh, a discount off there too. Yeah. Affiliate link. Okay. That did you, notes did you see, did you see those Imperial settler tokens that came out? Yes. And matter of fact, you need to be ready because at the end of October, the wingspan tokens are coming. Mm, there you go. So uh, when you order these uh, settler empire empires of the North 
that you can use them for both. Oh, that's true. Add me some wingspan in there, okay, when they come. Okay. Because, you know, wingspan without those would not be another, would just be a plain old card game, okay? (laughs) Touche. All right. Touche. So that's the affiliate link. We, of course, have that happening. Unfortunately, we don't have any miniature market affiliates, but um, we are over at our Discord channel giving out, you're giving out tons of stuff. Metallic Dice Games has an affiliate link, RDTN. They do, Metallic Dice Games. Oh, I'm still waiting on my Elixir Dice. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be using my Metallic Dice Games set if I was still playing an RPG online, but I'm not. We got kicked out. I think we've stressed that enough, but yes. <laughs> so so get this. Uh, in reference to an earlier episode, so Tony and I were doing a uh, an RPG game and we were playing with David Waybright from uh, Man versus Man versus Meeple. And then it, a lot of scheduling issues happen and stuff like that. So we ended up having to drop out and I do that with quotes because he just said yeah it's not working so (laughs) you guys were the last to join so you're gone so David writes me after he listens to the episode and here's what Mr. Waybright from Man vs. Meeple said he said I just listened to uh, the last episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names pretty good stuff I'll miss it (laughs) (laughs) that's fair I appreciate that <laughs> oh, now hold on. Now we were very, we were very great. Uh, it was a great opportunity, and he did promise me a one shot so that we'll get yes, together. Yeah, and, and in fact, I've been looking to do that, and hopefully later in this episode, because it hasn't been recorded yet, Vanessa and I are going to talk about a new game that we played of, of Strahd. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a famous vampire. His name's uh, Strahd, and Wizards sent me. The Curse of Strahd revamped this massive box that's shaped like a coffin Ooh. that has these nice books and these cards and everything in it. And, the, and it has scenarios in there for playing, I think it's like 15 scenarios and a guide for leveling up your character one through 10. Oh my gosh, the production on this is top notch. So if you're in love with that storyline, go check out the Wizards uh, links for this this enhanced version, Curse of Strahd revamped. And the reason why I was wanting to play with Vanessa is because his castle's Castle Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. And many, 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 many years ago with the family, we played the Castle of Ravenloft board game. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of nostalgia with that storyline. So I'm hoping to play that with her and uh, we'll talk about it later in the show. And if it didn't happen, then you won't hear about it. Okay. No, I understand completely. (laughs) It's kind of like me saying that, um, and later in the show, Don and I are going to come on with our puzzle review and pay attention to a possible giveaway. If we don't get that recorded, guess what? You didn't miss. It didn't happen. You didn't miss anything. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be talking a lot about that when I get time to have her sit down and gather her thoughts on that. So a lot of, a lot of puzzles are still going on, which takes me to our next big thing. October has been a great month, an amazing month, an awesome month. Has it? Oh yeah. It's oh beautiful month because it has finally hit the re-release of strike. That's right. It's oh here. God. It's here. It is so here. Watch it played Rodney Smith pinnacle of his career video on how to play strike pinnacle and we've got stuff in the works i cannot wait i hope we can pull this off who knows when it, i mean it's going to be down the line but you and i are working hard on this this is oh, so excited 
So excited. I understand you want to do a teaser, but let's, let's do a little bit more. We're wanting to do something with Robinsberger. They're working with us. We're working with them to hopefully have something to happen later on this year to replace what we could not do at Gen Con. That's right. It's, it's a logistical thing. It's a logistical nightmare. It's a logistical thing. And if you don't hear about it, it didn't happen. <laughs> Come back in December and you'll know it didn't happen. <laughs> So people are going to be, so where's that review of like the Curse of Strahd? I guess it didn't happen. Wait a minute. Where's the review of that puzzle game? I guess that didn't happen either. Okay. This strike thing. Never heard from that again either. (laughs) Oh, you'll be hearing about strike continuously, even regardless. But I I sat there and watched your renegade night out thing that you did recently on, um, with, was it Zoom? You, you and. Renegade games. Your renegade games. Yeah. Uh, where they did a pub quiz. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm I'm watching that and just trying to get people to not talk over each other. It is such a challenge. It is. And, you know, like I would have a what I thought was a funny line. And by the time it was silent enough to where I could say it, it just wasn't funny anymore. Yeah. And so then you feel like, well, you just don't say anything. And then like you're the only one not talking because we had like seven or eight people online at a time. It's not a good way to moderate that that sort of thing. It was a it was a fantastic event. Chris Whitpam put this on and it was one of the most interactive events that I've ever seen to where basically he set up discord channels for each of the people uh, in the Zoom call. Like there was one for us, one for Blue Peg, Pink Peg, et cetera. And you join their channel. And then when they asked a question, I would go and type in the channel. Okay, guys, help me out. And then it was like, whichever team could get the most questions right wins the quiz. Right. And you supposedly the channel was not Googling. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> and I mean, if it wasn't for Kent Parker in this team squirrel, Oh my gosh. That dude was like, well, this is the answer. I was like, how the heck did you know that? Which is why he deserved to win in our channel. So every channel, regardless, got a $25 gift certificate to Renegade Games website. And it was like, okay, we got to give this to Kent because he like carried us for the night. It only took me 30 minutes to figure out how many, where else the thumb. (laughs) God, I've never been in so convoluted crap in my whole life. (laughs) So what was it? You had to... Read something to understand the rules, to thumb that up, to go to another channel, to select which channel that you want to drop in and be part of a chat, and then thumb that up to go to that channel. Yeah, it was it was kind of it was convoluted. That's a good word. Yeah, I was sitting there. I'm sitting over there in our um di- our own Discord channel, the RDTN Discord channel, saying, well, "Okay, how do you get?" here people and Mari's like get on the zoom call you can't go into a zoom call without an invite it's like meat and all the rest of them i sent you an invite i got something in the slack yeah you can't do it unless it's your emails on it oh did not know that uh, yeah i know i'm an old man with technology but they've got all this security now in so you got to be careful Very with good. That. all right well well next time we'll know because i think chris pan chris Whitpan said that went so well he wouldn't mind trying that again i'll make sure you're in or doing the next one because Girls Game Shelf actually had like a couple people in there. And so if they're allowing two, it's like, all right, because obviously, as y'all saw, I needed a lot of help. Well, me coming into the channel is not beneficial. Kemp, maybe, but not me. Mm. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, I got nothing here, people. This is this is unreal. Halloween's upon us. When this releases, we'll have Halloween just a few days, your big holiday. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the whole Connell cluster gets moved from Halloween into the big Christmas. 
Connell cluster is actually the is the shuffling format. It has multiple definitions, just like a lot of words in the thing. <laughs> it can it can mean the dealing. It can mean the the family and the cluster of Halloween, and then the cluster of Christmas. I've already been told from Vanessa that uh, I'm I'm excited that uh, you and Bert are coming over on number first. We're gonna have a big gaming day. You're getting ready to go on vacation, which is why the reason why here let's let's go ahead and you know. Peel back the curtain. Let's reveal the man behind the curtain. We're recording all these super earlier than when they're going to be released because, Tony, you're getting ready to go out for a few days. So we're basically recording boom, 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 a bunch of episodes in a row so that I can kind of time space them and we'll drop them. So we're unsure what's going to be coming later in the episode <laughs> with our wives. Mm-hmm. That's why we're going, it may happen, it may not. But anyway, so we've got this big game day. Since you're going to be gone, we're going to get back together this big game day on November 1st. And Vanessa has already said, okay, that was a really long way to get from your elbow to your thumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just make this point of Vanessa said, uh, as soon as they walk out the door, we're ripping all of Halloween down and Christmas is going straight up. And she can. The woman has a process. You have a procedure. It is it is flow charted out in the Connell house. <laughs> and what's interesting is she typically does Thanksgiving. And she's like, not this year. She said, I'm not even going to deal Thanksgiving. Going straight from Halloween to Christmas in that first week in November. Well, you've already experienced it. Because you've already been to the Hallmark store and gotten your Nintendo uh, ornament. Well, that started back in July. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. The Nintendo console ornament is amazing i highly recommend that it has a little button that plays the super mario music it is so good that i bought a a zelda cartridge that's the golden zelda cartridge from the nes they got some good nintendo ornaments this year i guess you have to order it online because i don't think there's a hallmark store ever around anymore i don't know if they're still in business so uh let's see there's one at the mall there's one that vanessa helps out with uh, oh. 45 and matthews yeah they're still around they are okay they have an arcade series too where they release little miniature arcade games this year is, is joust yeah because you got tempest one year didn't you Nope. Defender was last year. Donkey Kong was one year. And this year's Joust. And there's a little button where you press it and it plays some of the authentic sounds from it. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Did you see where they're now making uh, half Christmas trees, uh, artificial trees? I don't understand. Okay. So think of a Christmas tree and the triangle part of it and how it's all, you know, goes up all around. Cut it down the middle so that you can push it against the wall. That's brilliant. How does it, st- how does it stay up? And not tip over. It's got the stands that are pointing out, like maybe, I guess, four or how many legs you would need to keep it from falling face forward. Again, uh-huh. The rest of the time, it's leaning against the wall. But if you put ornaments on the branches, that will make, wouldn't it make it front heavy and start pulling away from the wall? Maybe they got some real solid steel in there. I don't know, some rebar. Who knows? <laughs> I didn't engineer it. It just looked really cool for your space concern. If you were to put this in the Connell house, do you realize that... Your time would be cut in half because you'd only have to decorate half of your trees. That wouldn't float with Vanessa. Vanessa must decorate all sides of tree, even those that aren't visible. <laughs> I feel for you. Well, yeah. So I already know that uh, we've already have to budget this month. We're going to Sam's to get another pre-lit nine or 10 foot tree like one we got last year because she has to have one on each side of the fireplace. So enough Christmas talk. Let's talk board games. Yeah, because it's going to keep happening is over the next couple of months, there will be more and more Christmas talk. All right. So you talked about uh, puzzles that you've been using to fill your time. I am excited to, uh, to say, correction, I'm embarrassed to say that for the first time in years, I just read a book for enjoyment. Wow. A nonfiction book. No, that's incorrect. A fiction book 
The fiction's the one that's not real, right? Yes. Okay. A fiction book for enjoyment. Okay. Well, good for you. I mean, you haven't read it on your iPad or... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm physical, man. I'm physical. Okay. Uh, it was uh, earlier in the year. Uh, there's a, a company called Aconite, A-C-O-N-Y-T-E Books, that's come out with a series of books. And, and first, they were just based off fantasy flight IPs. And in the spring, they sent... Uh, us a review copy, but not of the book, but of the, uh, you know, the iPad version or the, you know, mm. the electronic version. I couldn't do it. I wanted to flip through a book. Uh, look, I, it's just me. I'm old school. So I waited till this book here, uh, Wrath of Nakai, which is an Arkham Horror themed book from Josh Reynolds came out in actual book form in September. I got it. Then I read it so that I could talk about okay. it. Okay. Instead of hitting your fist against the book to indicate that it's physical, you could flip the pages so people can hear the pages turning. Oh, hold on, hold on. There you go. That was very little, but that'll that'll work. <laughs> so you got a physical book, because I understand... Um, because if you're reading it in the um, throne room, oh yeah, you, you don't want the electronics falling. So I understand. Okay, it's just me, and it's fine. I used to get on Vanessa because she didn't want to read her Kindle, uh-huh. and it's like, but it's so much easier. So I'd rather turn the page, like whatever. And I was like, now that I've done, it's like, yeah, okay, I'd rather turn the page too. Plus, it's nice to, uh, during lunch. I would go down by the the pond and uh, sit and read by the pond with your book did you take your little bag of breadcrumbs there are no ducks or anything at this pond pigeons pigeons yeah pigeons you throw breadcrumbs in the park for the pigeons okay there's no pigeons here there's no there's snakes i've seen snakes and turtles okay the reason why is this is a pure sign of early onset old man disease i thought that'd be going to the park and sitting and playing chess with somebody else well we've already passed that by playing two-player board games Okay. Okay. That's fair. You recommend these books. How often are they coming out? Um, how do people okay. get them? So just let me talk about this, this book real quick. Wrath of Nakai is, is uh, during the twenties and uh, the author, Josh Reynolds, who I'd not heard of, but went and looked him up. He wrote a lot of games workshop books, including one that has uh, your favorite character. What's his name? Go Trek and Felix. Yeah. The Go Trek and Felix. Yeah, he wrote a book uh, uh, based on them. So uh, they've got a lot of uh, authors that basically came from uh, ga writing Games Workshop books like 40K, Warhammer Fantasy and stuff. So his experience is, is in, in that. So I thought, well, he'll be good uh, for something like this, taking an existing IP and writing a story around it. But I really enjoyed this. It is not weird. It is not extremely weird. You know, when you play Arkham Horror, the board games and stuff, it gets really bizarre and out there. This really isn't the case. I mean, the main character is Countess Alexandra Zorza, who's an international thief. And basically, she's been hired to come into Arkham, Massachusetts and steal something. And then hijinks ensue. It's really just a good mystery book. Okay. Uh, it's really what it's really what it is. On the second half of the book, they get uh, more into the really weird stuff and why the hijinks are kind of happening. And that's when you dig into the really Arkham-y type stuff. But the first part, it's got some really good characters. It's one of those things I would love to see her in a movie. Mm -hmm. She's almost like a Laura Croft type character. She's a you know, strong woman. She knows how to handle herself, shoot a gun. She can, she can take on anybody sort of deal. So I, I really loved her character. I love to see her character pop up in other things. So, so I, other than that, I don't want to spoil it. But I'm saying if you like Arkham Horror, 
type stories. This is worth picking up. And there's a lot of Easter eggs in here. It's really cool to read. And all of a sudden they would reference somebody. And if you played enough Arkham Horror games, you go, I know that person. Or they'd reference a location. You go, I know that location. So that was cool. But if you're not into Arkham, they have a ton of stuff. They have, uh, they're doing a whole series of books for Marvel. Cause you know, Fantasy Flight has the Marvel. Mm-hmm license so they're going to do uh books in the marvel universe legends of the five rings twilight imperium descent pandemic keyforge which i don't really understand because i didn't know there's really much lore in keyforge you make up the lore okay but i didn't think there's any established worth you know with arkham and you know descent stuff there in twilight imperium there's established lore uh but anyway but then this past week they got a uh they got a license to write a book for, and this kind of took me by surprise because all these others are very thematic. They're going to have somebody write a book for terraforming Mars. Okay. Again, cool, but I couldn't see myself reading a book on terraforming Mars and go, oh, I know that person because I've read other stories about it, mm-hmm. not like in Arkham. There's no real, there's not a lot of flavor text in terraforming Mars. No, but they're going to make the flavor text. So suddenly you have a bunch of corporate raiders are out there. Who are trying to take over. I mean, we're watching the Amazon series called The Expanse and, you know, um, Earth, Mars, and the Belters. So I can see, I guess maybe since I'm watching that, I can see how that would actually work. Hold that thought. Hold the Expanse thought. I want to come back to it. So let me just wrap this up real quick. So uh, if you're interested in reading some books on some games that you've been playing for years, go check out Aconite Books, A-C-O-N-Y-T-E books.com. And uh, you can get them on Amazon. There is already another Arkham uh, book out. I'm going to order it. There's another one coming out next year. Follow them on Twitter uh, because they're constantly announcing uh, books that are coming out. And if you want to review any of these books, there's the people who professionally review books. They'll send you an electronic copy if you want to review, like write a blog for it and stuff like that too. So they are always offering that. So again, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I finally read a fiction book for pleasure. It's been years. I enjoyed it. I will be doing again. And it was over 300 pages long. I was really impressed with that. And the font is, is wasn't too tiny either. Well, so I could, I could, I, I could handle it. I don't it. see any highlighting for your book club. <laughs> well, again, uh, I asked Vanessa, I said, y'all want to, you want to read this together in discussion? She went, mm, no, <laughs> so that didn't go over well. All right. Expanse. Yes. What about it? Jamie Kager from Secret Cabal uh-huh. and Joel Eddy from Drive Through Games. Love this show. Okay. As you as a Star Trek, a sci-fi fan, sir, what do you think of this show? Is this something I should watch? It is not like Star Trek or Star Wars. It's espionage. It's it's about three powerful companies trying to take over one another in an impending war. It's about some, if you like aliens, it's along those lines. Now, we're only in season one, and I have to remind Donna of what's going on because a lot of the names are moving back and forth. A lot of character building. Would you like this? I think you would because of your Firefly love. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, you're comparing it to Firefly? No, I'm not comparing it. I'm saying because you enjoy Firefly and the type of stories it told. Okay. But you have a misfit crew in season one. Like I said, I haven't made it to season four yet. A misfit crew trying to right the wrongs of the world. Okay. Okay. Because there's some sci-fi I didn't, I never like care for Stargate. Did you ever watch Stargate? Yeah, I didn't. I only watched the movie, so yeah. Yeah, I didn't care for that one. I'm really not a big Trekkie fan either. Well, and I know some people like a lot of those. It was, I don't know. Well, well, Trekkies, yeah, this is definitely not Star Trek. Definitely okay. not Star Trek. It's, it's darker. It's grimmer. 
It's got weird words because they got these made up languages in it and you're expected to figure it out. And that's not mm-hmm. always fun. So you just got to go with it. And it isn't, I do, the, my favorite part is that they do space battles correctly, but they have to add a little bit because they use rail guns. They don't use pew, 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 pews. They actually send metal objects. When you fight in space, there is no light. There is no sound. So, but they're actually sh- shooting metallic objects using magnetic to f- propel it at incredible speeds and it tears apart a ship. It's not these lasers and these phasers and things like that. And that to me rocks. I mean, maybe Vanessa and I will watch a couple episodes and see what we think. Since we're in the middle of uh, Halloween, we started uh, watching Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, which is a follow-up to Haunting of Hill House from last year on Netflix. So we've watched a, a few episodes of that. So we're we're doing the Halloweenies type stuff gotcha. right now. So the you, going back, I went to Amazon real quick to see what the Go, Go, Go Trek and Felix uh, wrote of skulls that Josh wrote. Yeah. And this is the one that came back to Black Library, uh, The Return. And you can buy the paperback for $32. Yeah, but you can go out to the Black Library and probably get a lot cheaper. I hope so. I mean, 12 used for $27.50. We'll have to look into that one. Mm, one of those thrift book finds if you ever find it out there. So, two-player games. We're getting, we're getting a lot of them. I got to move you along, dude. We got to get this thing done. Come on, move along. There is no transition here. We got things to do. All right, two-player game. Seastead. Yes. Seastead. We got to play another two-player game, Seastead. Based on the Flotilla uh, universe that came out from WizKids uh, last year. So this is a two-version game based in that universe that doesn't exactly play like Flotilla, but anytime that, Tony, you and I have played a Euroe-type two-player game that plays in 30 to 45 minutes, we tend to be fans of it. Mm. And to me, this one is no different. You've got four hex-shaped tiles sitting out in the middle of the board. They're called flotillas. Randomly, each one is assigned a type of resource that you need to spend to build buildings on that particular tile. On your little player board, you have three different types of buildings that you can build. You're going to collect resources that you're going to use to build buildings to do what, Tony? Earn victory points? Yes. There you go. But Marty, this is what I enjoyed the most about this game. Yes, talk to me how you got your victory points. So you, you talk about those hex shapes now and keep me straight on all the terms in it because there was a building that you would build and I think it was the port. Yes, there's the port, the academy, and the shipyard. You've got to build a port at one of the hex areas. Edges. Edges. Thank you for giving me that word because it completely <laughs> left me. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves, people. Okay, so when you put this here, it has victory point conditions on it, not where you place it, but how the areas that are adjacent to it. Yeah, the types of buildings that are going to be built adjacent and then adjacent to those could potentially give you victory points, which is why when we played our first game, I put up my ports too soon. Mm-hmm. Played again. I played with uh, Bert uh, last week, and I did it better in that I didn't build my ports till later to see where I had placed already placed some of my uh, buildings and then put a port there to match the buildings that have been placed. But what's cool, Tony, is it doesn't matter who built the port. If you get the uh, right building in place, even if it's your opponent, mm-hmm. you still get to score points. Which is very important because you've got to know when I'm placing that tile, oh, 
I'm giving Marty three victory points over here because he's already yep. built that. Another thing I com- really enjoyed, and I know you're going to talk about the other type of things you can build, but in order to build, you need certain resources on a certain tile. Those can move. Yeah, that's that's what was neat too. So the six locations around the tile have different costs. They start from two and then go up to six resources. On your nice little player board, it has a really cool player board for e- holding each of the, uh, the buildings and there's four of each. If you ever complete a column, then what you get to do is swap the resource tiles that are out on the uh, the islands. When they do that, then all of a sudden, okay, now it costs this type of resource on this particular place to build it. So they're not going to stay the same. So let's say it's like, man, I really want to go building that flotilla over there, but I don't have that particular type of resource. Well, if you can happen to clear a column, you might could swap and put the resources that you do have over there so that you can build over there. And what's also cool too, is when you complete an entire line of a particular type of building, you also got a bonus when you did that. That's another part of the strategy is, okay, I really need to complete this so that I can later move the resources or if I'm going down this. And, and that didn't sink in at first, the mm-hmm. strategy behind it. So as you get to play more and more of this, once again, it's just part of the strategy that you have to take in. And that's what we enjoy about these games is the in-depth strategy that may be there for a two-player game that at first you're like, I'm not seeing, oh, whoa, wait a minute. I see what you did there. Stop, yeah, stop yeah. that crap. I don't need you to, I don't need you to be moving these resources. <laughs> and, and oh, there's one thing too. You can't, uh, there's always one resource locked. So it does kind of keep you from really screwing somebody over moving a resource, the same resource twice. Mm-hmm. If it's locked, it can't be swapped. The two that you swap, one of those will be locked and the other that's locked is unlocked. So it's the kind of keep you from really, really messing somebody up. Uh, when you build a shipyard, this is kind of cool too, is you get to put a ship out on one of the unoccupied edges of one of the hexes. When anybody builds there, it's going to cost them one less resource. Makes things a little bit cheaper. If you happen to build where one of my ships is, you get the benefit of minus one cost, but I get a free resource. So lots of times I would try to place ships where I think you were going to build so that I can get a free resource for it. Well, is that like more strategy? Yep, a little bit more. Hey, you want a little bit more strategy? When you build an academy, you have these specialist cards that are out on the table. There's four of them. You get to pick one and they're kind of like a one-time use. One time you used to give you a special ability or something, unless you build the entire row of academies, then you get to take one of your used specialist cards and flip it back up and use it again. And any unused specialist card is worth a victory point at the end of the game. Wow. More strategy. You know, I bet there's one more big strategy that I like. What is that? If I can't build Marty, am I just SOL? Oh, but Tony, no, because you know there's resources that you need to get. There's this dive deck that's assembled at the beginning of the game where there's a shallow depth, a medium, and a deep depth. This turn, I'm not building. We're going to dive. We're going to flip over a card. The card is divided into two halves. What you're going to do is you're going to point one half towards you, the other half towards your opponent, and there's resources on those halves. And each of you are going to get something. I really like that because when somebody dives, both of you are going to get some sort of benefit. It's just that if you dive, you get to pick which side that you get if there's a particular type of resource that you're looking for. And that's one of the in-game mechanisms too. Yeah, when you get to the uh, the deep dive card, that'll trigger the end of the game. If there's only one building left, that'll trigger the end of the game. And then there's these cleanup tokens, which are like victory point tokens that can be claimed throughout the game through different processes and stuff. If you get all those... Uh, that triggers the end of the game. I didn't mention when you build on some of the spaces, there's a building bonus. It's like, hey, if you build here, you can turn in one resource and get two or turn in two different resources and get two other resources. So even where you build 
on the edge of a hex will trigger some other sort of action that you can do when you take that build action. All that together, Tony, makes a really solid, in my opinion, two-player 30-minute game that you and I just have really gravitated towards over the past couple of years. That's because those are, we're the only people that show up until Bert gets there. <laughs> Enjoyed the game. Really did enjoy the game. I mean, I can't think of the name off the top of my head of the railroad game we played. Enjoyed, you know. Yeah, it was from Lookout Games. We played it last year. Uh, I can tell you where we played it even. We played it at that hamburger joint a couple times. And I mean, it's based on what, Snowdonia? Yes, yes, that one. And uh, But we played that one. We really enjoyed Man, it's just some good, good two-player. And the one that was uh, based on Agricola, the two-player game that we liked. Yeah, and I and I have the old version of Caverna that's based on two players that you know I picked up when somebody was selling off their collection, and I still haven't played that. Got to play. That. I said Agricola. It's based on Caverna. Caverna. Oh, okay. Well, there, yeah, the uh, there's yeah. Agricola two player. I think it's called. Uh, oh, I can't. We're gonna get in trouble if we say the wrong thing. It's gonna cost me money. It's gonna be five dollars. Yeah, so we're gonna shut up here right now. So here it is. Wiz Kids Games Seastead S E A S T E A D. It's, it's uh, easy to learn, easy to set up, really good two-player Euro game. Uh, not a lot of randomness to it, which I liked. Maybe when you dive, you don't exactly know what resource is going to come up if you're looking for something in particular. But but other than that, very deterministic. I enjoy my time with it. And Tony, since you are quarantining right now before you head out on your trip, uh, this past week I got with Bert and played a game that I'm just going to tease because on November 1st, I want you to try out Red Cathedral from Devere, D-E-V-I-R games. You like dice inside of a Euro game. I think you're going to like this. Do you like Rondell type games where you move a, a piece around a circle and depending on where you land, you may get something? Sure. I like those, but you know what I really like about a game? What? If the play time isn't forever. Well, I mean, nothing is forever. Oh, well, this is true. I mean, I'm. This like, should be a song. It should be. I mean, they're saying the playtime is 30 minutes to two hours. Oh, guaranteed a four player game will take longer because there is some downtime. Because the bad thing about a Rondell type game is you don't know how the board will look till it gets back to you. Ooh, yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So if there's, a, there's, if there's a die that I want to move, and basically what's cool about the dice is the pip that's on the die is the number of spaces that you'll move. And after you move, you'll get some sort of resource. Then you re-roll the dice. So you, it's like, ooh, I really want to move that red because it's a five and it'll give me the resource that I need. Well, if somebody moves that die, you're done. Mm -hmm. So then you really can't do anything until it gets to your turn. But the whole goal of the game is to build cathedrals. If you're going to build a cathedral, nobody can stop you and mess with you and doing that. You'll just do it. But I love it. At first, I said, this is a very failed -y game, but it's not in this typical failed game. You know, it's a point salad, typical failed game. It's like there's a thousand ways to score points. There's really only one main way to score points in this game. And that's building the Red Cathedral. But that's just it. That's a tease. You and I are going to play on November 1st, and we're going to talk about it in a future episode. I can't wait to see what you think about this game. All right. I'm looking forward to it. You sold it to me, so you better not disappoint. Oh, well, uh, there could be some downtime, so just go ahead and prep for that. Do you still have downtime at your house? Where yes. you're looking for things to do. Oh, yeah. I could read a book. You could read a book. You know what else you could do? 
What's that? When we get back together, you need to have your games organized and ready to go to hit the table. How can I do that, Tony? You know, I think you can do that by going over to thebrokentoken.com. Thebrokentoken.com? What do they provide? They provide all kinds of organizers. They also provide all these little miniatures for your RPG game. So if you're not taking this time to get prepared for when gaming comes back to your house, that's just sad. Go check out all they have to offer you at thebrokentoken.com. Did you say that was thebrokentoken.com? I did. And be sure when they say for special instructions or notes, uh-huh. say Marty and Tony sent you. Yeah. So I'm going to go to thebrokentoken.com and order me an organizer and put Marty and Tony sent me. I think that won't get you anything, but it will make it nice for us. <laughs> Oh, we are back again. You thought you got rid of me and my wife. No, we are here to talk about a board game that we recently played. Now, everybody's talked about this game, and unfortunately, we just haven't gotten it to the table, but we finally did, and that is My City, designed by Reiner Knizia from Cosmos Game, or I'm sorry, just Cosmos. They're, they do a lot of your favorites, a lot of your favorite two players, you know, like all oh, the Rose King. Oh, I like that game. So we finally got this to the table. Normally, Marty will come in and start in and us with a whole bunch of rules and how to play this game and things like that. He's not here. It's me and my wife. So I'm going to let her do it. I'm not going to tell you how to play the game, but I'll give you the general premise is that you have a grid. Somebody's flipping over cards and it doesn't matter. You don't even have to take turns. The card tells you which piece you have to play. And we all have the same Tetris type pieces, you know, the L's and the T's and um, a square and a t- two long, three long, four long, I think. Place them, but there's obstacles. There's a river and you can't cross the river with a piece. Um, You can border the river, but you can't cross it. And there's trees and you get extra points if you don't cover up the trees and you lose points. Cover Um, up the rocks. No, you want to cover up the rocks. You want to cover up the rocks. All right, sorry. If you have open field space. You want to cover up the rocks and you want to leave the trees exposed. Mm -hmm. And any open field spaces is a negative point as well. In the first game, in the second game, in the third game. Yeah, it's a legacy. So I'm interested to see where it goes. There's three different sets of the pieces. And when the card flips over, it tells you what color it is and what piece it is. Apparently, as this game progresses, the colors will become more important in the first game, which is all we've played. It doesn't matter what color you pick up. So when we're playing this game, one of the the key elements is how do you win? By covering up the rocks. By victory points. Is it victory points? Do we win by victory points? Do you count it up? Yeah, so yes. whoever, whoever comes in first. Well, you know, that's one of the things here at Rolling Dice. We talk about the fact that everything's by victory Pretty points. Pretty much every game is by victory I points. I know. But if you come in first place in this game, then you get to mark off two circles. And we don't know why yet, because we haven't made it that far in this game. You get to mark off these two little dots on your player board. And then... Second place will get to mark off a dot. However, first place must add a sticker to their board. So after the very first game, the boards are no longer the same. They're all different because of people adding stickers or rem- and you can't remove stickers, obviously, yeah. but how they how things are adjusted. And those who come in last get benefits where those who come in first actually by adding a rock. Now you got to cover that up or it's negative points. So it's kind of a catch up mechanic, a balancing effort in this game. So we're finishing it up. We're getting ready to go ahead and put some stickers on. And my wife looks at me and says, do you think 
that this would be fun with more players. And I said, well, probably, yeah. And then she says, I even think we can play this virtually. And I'm like, well, you know what, dear? I think you're right. If we can get the people the boards. So we did that. So we are going to play this virtually with another couple and see how it goes. Now, they may not get the stickers. They can color and do whatever they want with it. But you, you really don't. Well, you don't once have... you put a sticker on a board, you know, it's kind of stuck there. Yeah. Um, so they could draw rocks and trees on their board. But um, we don't know what happens. The only instructions we have right now are the first three rounds. And I think you told me it's 24 rounds long. So... Yeah, I'm excited to try it again. We did not write on our boards or put any stickers, so we're going to start over. It was one of those games where it was just like, you know, why would we? Let's let's try this. I think it would work, especially since it is uh, flip a card over and let them see it or tell them what color it is and what the shape is. And I mean, it's one of those things where if people are saying, hey, I'm still stuck in this world of isolation or I don't want to get together with other people, this is an excellent two people can go out and buy the same game and then they have the contents and just play it virtually because it's not that hard well and the other thing i said is we can also get together and play it and sit six feet apart because you don't need anything on the table i mean the only thing at least in the beginning i mean we'll have to see how it evolves is you're flipping over this deck of cards it's not like rolling dice where you know i need to have my turn i mean you're going to flip over the next card and you sat there and flipped over all the cards it doesn't change what would have come up if I had flipped it up? So we'll be able to sit and not have to sit across um, a table. So we can sit across a fire pit or something with somebody. Yeah. And who knows, maybe later seasons or envelopes, we may find out, oh, this may not work. We don't know. So this is something by doing this review, dear, you get to come back on and talk about your progression in this legacy game. Okay. Well, I don't know anything beyond level one and uh, on the card, you actually get first, second, and third, what do you call them, days in a legacy game? Sure. You can call it whatever you want. Seasons, days, quarters, periods, who knows? Season seems like an odd thing because mm-hmm. you don't want 24 seasons. So. Well, you're building episodes. a city. Episodes. How about episodes? There like a go. TV show. That's right. So, yeah. So, we only know what's going to happen in the first three episodes because it's on the one sheet, the one envelope. All the other envelopes are have not been opened. That's right. Now, one thing I do want to point out is after you complete the legacy portion, you flip the board over and you have a standalone game. Which I love that because usually you finish a legacy game and it pretty much goes in the trash. Pandemic, our first one, other than the components, you're absolutely right. That ended up in the recycle bin. Well, there's nothing you can do with it. You've torn up cards. You've marked up the board. You put stickers on it. I mean, it just, there's nothing else to do with it. You can't hand it down. Hopefully this game will keep you entertained and we'll be able to use the backside of the board. My City, Cosmos, recommend that this game be tried if you enjoy the legacy style and you enjoy Tetris pieces. We all know that Tony is not a fun shape. I don't like Tetris. Yeah, I only beat you by one piece. I mean, one point. Right. And it really comes into a, uh, one of the rules is when you place a piece, it has to, one of its side has to border another piece side. And I did like the fact I was able to, and I didn't cheat, was kind of position, oh, I know this piece will eventually come up. So hopefully I can stick it in there and it doesn't come up too late. And then I get stuck because I did have to take a negative point for not playing a piece one time. And I said, I'm not going to play this I piece. I one as well. 
Yeah. All in all, uh, and virtually, we, we have um, Welcome To, which is a um, flip the card, you draw on your sheet of paper city game we used to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, same same concept. You're just flipping a card, and as long as the people have the Tetris pieces, they're good to go. So that's My City from Cosmos by Reiner Knizia. It is Halloween week here and around the Connell household and even the Purvis household, which is Vanessa's family, we love to play Arkham Horror this time of year. And so when Fantasy Flight released their latest expansion, Under Dark Waves, Vanessa and myself and her brother Bob said, all right, let's get this to the table. Let's see what this expansion is all about. All right, I have to say something really quick. You have a lot of energy and enthusiasm in your voice, but let me tell the listener something. Right now, I am beat down and worn out, and I feel like I have been tossed about the ocean, gone under the water, and barely crawling out alive after this experience. I am worn out, and that's exactly how it should be. But there's no excuse for that, Vanessa, because you had a nap in between our sessions. We had to stop this session after midnight last <laughs> night and say, we'll just pick it up tomorrow. So you should be refreshed. <laughs> no, not refresh. These haunting monsters stayed with me. <laughs> How long did it take us? Oh, my gosh. So this first scenario took us, we counted it up. Now, we were playing this over a Zoom connection, and Bob was showing his board. We had our board. So it's going to take longer than what it normally would. But it took us five to six hours to play one scenario. And you know what? It's a true Arkham experience. Sometimes you end and you're elated and filled with energy. And then sometimes you're just drained Drained. and you feel like you fought. But the the thing is, is y'all did all the fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am mentally, I, I mentally fought. Oh, Arkham will wear you out. But even after six hours, like many of the other scenarios, this scenario went to the wire. There was no way that we were going to survive another mythos phase. And so we had to reach the win condition in this turn or it wasn't going to happen. And after all those hours, we did it. And when we win in that fashion, which we often do, we're always like, yay! And this time I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. It's like the weight of the world just whoosh came out (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know and we talked about this after we finished it's like it's amazing how they create these scenarios to exactly every time we play it's never like you win early or you lose early it's always like okay in this round we either win or we lose or it's like man if just one more round we would have won they designed the scenarios out really well in all these ones that we've played so far and we've played gosh how many now eight to ten over the base game in the last expansion I want to say something about this expansion because I always love looking at the artwork. And I had the box set up to uh, uh, so I could see it the whole time. The cover of the box is just amazing. And I felt like one of the investigators on the boat being tossed around. But this 
artwork is amazing. And that now we know it's Mother Hydra on the cover, <laughs> just just coming to devour us. So that that was one thing that was really new and neat, this monster, this Mother Hydra. Uh, and some of the other investigators are new. Mm-hmm. And Well, I'll just want to say this real quick. So we did a full deep dive into Arkham Horror 3rd Edition back on episode 158. So if you want to go back and listen to that, we can explain about the game and how it's changed and everything. We just want to focus on the expansion here. And Bob, one of the big things about this expansion is one of the most famous places in the Arkham lore is a place we got to visit in this expansion. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, anybody who loves Arkham Horror, they just they always want to go to Innsmouth. Uh, it's a terrible place to go. They don't want you there, but investigators love to show up. So we finally get to go to Innsmouth, and this expansion adds new tiles. So there are two new double-sided tiles. One side of one tile is Innsmouth Village. One side of the other tile is the Innsmouth Shore. And then on the reverse of both of those are two Kingsport locations. So back in the second edition of Arkham Horror, there was an expansion for Innsmouth and there was an expansion for Kingsport. I feel like they sort of combine those two in terms of location and theme into one large expansion for Arkham Horror third edition. With those two new tiles, you need to get a way to get over there. So you still have your Arkham City, but now there's new little tiles that you can attach to the edges of the neighborhoods that can provide boat travel or train or road travel. And on the other two tiles, you have uh, little uh, attachments to those neighborhoods that show, okay, I can take a boat back to the mainland or I can take a road from, say, north side and head over to Innsmouth Village. So there's a whole new travel mechanic. And when you go to one of those tiles, you just spend a buck. You can go straight to the other map, and that's how you travel between the two maps. So I like that they've added this whole new travel mechanic that didn't exist before. Yeah, it really doesn't take any more actions uh, to do that movement, but you have to have that dollar. And especially in Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, every single action is so important that you, you may not feel the need to gather resources or gather that money. But if you don't have at least the dollar, how many times, Marty, did your character in this game, you said, I got to spend an action just to get a buck so I can then do the next thing I'm trying to do. It does add another level of planning out your actions, but it certainly adds a a major level to the uh, to the board itself and just creating more epic... Uh, space to move around in. Unfortunately, the monsters don't have to pay anything. Somehow they get to get on the trains and the boats and the cars for free because they can move also between the two different locations. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Did they? When is this game set? In the mid twenties? Did they have Uber back then? Because I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Now, Vanessa, you like playing some of these brand new investigators that we got. Uh, I think there's like eight new investigators. You got some classic ones from previous editions. You got some brand new ones that was just introduced, like uh, Stella Clark, which just came out, and the card game is now in this one. Vanessa, you got to play the violinist? Yes, I was Patrice Hathaway. I was drawn to her. I just love, again, the artwork. I love her dress. I loved her um, bracelet, and she's playing the violin, which... Reminded me of Vanya from Umbrella Academy, actually, (laughs) and another reason why I picked her. But I usually, typically, I want a 
fight, fight, fight. But this character, um, she was good at doing the research and the warding skills. So I was also drawn to her for that reason. It gave me just another way to fight in the game beside actual physical fighting. Right. And Bob, you got to play one of my favorite characters that I also love playing in the card game, Zoe. Oh, yeah. She's one of mine, too. When we were planning out this session, I know I had sent you guys a text and I kind of claimed Zoe first. So I hope I didn't uh, take her away from you. But she is pretty much a straightforward monster slayer. I was trying to engage and fight and or kill monsters almost every turn. However, I didn't have to think about my strategy much because it was obvious that's what I needed to do. I think Patrice did more to move the game along, and I just tried to keep her path clear. So aside from the eight investigators, there's also a brand new mechanic called Terror. And this is a new token that's going to go in the Mythos bag. During the Mythos phase, you're going to reach your hand into a bag and do a blind pull of these. Mario, I have to stop you real quick She's going to stop me, okay. <laughs> Only because I'm, I'm still thinking in that mystical way. Uh, okay, go ahead. But, so when we were setting this up, and y'all said... T-E-R-R-O-R, terror. I heard tarot, like tarot cards. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be really neat. We're going to (laughs) read, there's going to be a tarot cards part of it. But the terror is really great. (laughs) (laughs) Is it really great? Because when you pull that token out of the bag, there's there's a whole new token, a tarot token that goes on the board. And when that happens, there's a terror deck. And a card from that deck will go on top of the encounter cards for that location. So whenever you have an encounter in that neighborhood, you typically draw the top card and resolve it. If there's a terror card on top of it, you have to resolve it before going to the regular encounter card. And from what we found, none of those terror cards are good. No, none of them were good. And if I'm remembering right, too, having all of those out on the board is what sort of advanced it there at the end. Because once you have so many on the board... Then Doom started going to the scenario card. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If there was, if the terror deck was empty, then instead you started adding Doom tokens to the scenario scenario card. And most of the scenarios that we play say, oh, by the way, when you get X amount of Doom on the uh, encounter cards, bad things happen. And Bob, we also found out too that the more terror you have in a neighborhood, the worse those cards are. Yeah, the cards are printed very similar to like how some. Um, uh, some of the doom works in previous scenarios. And for uh, at first, I was wondering what the difference was. I was thinking, why create new tokens and new stuff? Because this really works the same way. Meaning, when you have a terror encounter, you see how many terror tokens are on that neighborhood, and then you look at your card. And so there may be a certain encounter for zero to two tokens, a certain encounter for three to four tokens, and a certain encounter for five or more. But unlike some others, there's no mechanic in this scenario to remove terror tokens off of the board. So once a terror token is placed, it stays there. So that terror level just keeps growing and growing. So you know when you're pulling that card, it's it's going to be a bad encounter. But there was also a brand new card, too, for what we call mystery tiles. Uh, there's a couple new mystery tiles that's uh, out in the scenario that we played. It was called Dark Reef. Devil Reef. Oh, I'm sorry. Devil Reef. I, it, it would help if I, I have cards sitting on top of that tile and I couldn't see it. Devil Reef. And if you go there and have an encounter, that's a separate deck. 
And it adds the mechanic of, it's like a branching storyline. It's like, hey, you can either do A or B. Which do you want to do? And then the person who's doing the encounter has to decide. That is a little bit different than the regular encounter cards. The regular encounter cards, you just sit, just you read it, you run a test and do it. But now you have to make a decision. And I actually like any time that you have to make a decision and feel like, which way do I go? Is one better than the other sort of deal? And the person who's reading the card doesn't tell the other person the resolution until they make their pick. So this expansion has four scenarios in it. We've done one. I will say the first thing we did, I think to me it was more kind of a generic type thing. We're fighting monsters. There's a big baddie that we must take down. I think I like the ones that has a little bit of different twist on that. Uh, we talked about it before. One of the best ones that we ever played. Y'all remember when we played with the two rival gangs within Arkham Horror? That's one yeah. of the best scenarios that we ever played. And really didn't have any big monsters in it. Yeah, I looked through just very cursory at the four scenarios to help us set up our play session. And we knew we wanted to go to Innsmouth. So uh, two of the scenarios really stood out for that. And of the two, this one seemed to be kind of straightforward. You knew there were going to be mm -hmm. big monsters. You knew you were going to just have to go and handle the mechanics. So uh, I think it was a good first scenario for this expansion so we could figure out the terror and, and uh, movement from one city to the next. But then the next one will probably be, I don't remember, something about dreaming in Riley. So that one seems like it might be a little more uh, mysterious and plot twisty. If people get this expansion, the one that we play was Tyrants of Ruin. So that does seem like a good one to kind of introduce the new mechanics of travel, the terror cards, um, etc. So that might be a good uh, jumping in point. Again, it did take us a while to finish, but we did win. A better, a better word would have been classic. It's a classic. classic. You, you go classic. and you fight monsters yep. and they're these nasty sea creatures yeah the deep ones yeah that you must yeah slithery and slimy yeah so this is the first big box expansion uh, for arkham horror the last one that came out was a little bit smaller um it didn't have you know a lot of new mechanics it just kind of added on to what was already there but in my opinion y'all if, if you have arkham horror third edition i think this the new maps and the new terror and the new in investigators which can be used in the base game etc if you like Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, I do recommend this expansion under Dark Waves. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how can you play Arkham Horror without Zoe? So you've got to get this one. <laughs> so there you go. That is Arkham Horror under Dark Waves. You guys, we finished one scenario. We have three left to play. I can't wait to get the... Uh, Get this out again, but we may have to pl plan a little bit better so that we can try to finish it in one session. I was going to say, can we can we get it done by Halloween? But uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to play straight between now and then. I think for Vanessa, we need to plan it in two parts so we can definitely have that nap during the middle. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of uh, bathroom breaks and snack breaks and letting the dog out breaks during this thing. So that is Arkham Har Under Dark Waves out now in your local stores and available on Miniature Market. So at a recent ice cream social, Marty plopped a box on the table with a name called Guildmaster on it from Good Games Publishing, designed by Chris Anthony. See, I'm Marty, I keep wanting to put the H in there because I'm Anthony. Oh, I didn't even notice. It's Anthony. 
without an H. I thought you were just like messing with me. I just now looked no. at the designer's name, A-N-T-O-N-Y. Okay. Okay. And that's what's, you know, because I'm, I'm David Anthony, but no, he's yes. Anthony. So anyway, he plops this down, pulls it out and says, Go, you know, make sure you read the rules before we came there. And I did that. And what's really nice about this game, Marty, is they also give you a playthrough yes. that you can read. I'm like, this is exciting. I can actually step through the various rounds, but spoilers, Squirrely Award nominee, possible winner. So here's the thing. Do you know why I even uh, was interested in this game, Tony? Two reasons. Guildmaster made me think immediately of... Guild Wars. Guild Wars. <laughs> and the art. The art of the box just mm -hmm. caught my eye. I, I know that, you know, some people say, oh, art don't matter. No, this caught my eye. When Good Games Publishing contacted us and said, hey, would you be interested in this? Immediately when I saw Guildmasters, I'm interested in that one just because on the art alone. I didn't even know anything about this game. And then when we got the game, it has programming mm -hmm. and I don't get to play a lot of programming games or I haven't, but every time I do, I really enjoy it. And that's what this is. And what I mean by programming is simultaneously, each of you are behind your screen going to dictate what you're going to do that turn and then reveal. And then everybody's going to resolve their actions in order based on where they program those actions. And that right there was the meat of the game, the enjoyment. The enjoyment. But I mean, we felt that way when we played Star Trek, Star Trek, Starcraft many, 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 many moons ago. Yes. And uh, uh, Forbidden Stars. We enjoy that. We like that capability. We like the, also the reveal of it. <laughs> oh, That's I can't so believe you just put it right there. Ah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And there's only three actions in this game. There's building where you can uh, build additional uh, pieces on your board, which will give you some more money or some more adventurers that you can send out. Cause when you're programming, you're basically sending out a, a party of adventurers. You start with four and you can only fulfill two orders and each order can only have a max of two. So I can send two to do this, two to do that. One of the things I can do is build to allow me to send more adventurers out mm -hmm. or fulfill more orders or get more gold at the end of each round. Or I can go hire more adventurers or I can complete contracts, which is what the ultimate goal is, is in order to get victory points. There's the three actions that you're programming each round. And it's very important on how the orders resolve. Because you, they may be uncontested. They can be contested. You know, one of the things, I, do you remember Roll for the Galaxy at all? Oh, yes. Yeah. Vanessa loves that game. Yeah. And how sometimes where if some people didn't take certain actions, then you know, no one got to do that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And, and when we, we were first going over this game, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be convoluted. This is going to be hard. <clears throat> no. Our first round flew by. And one of the things about this, the skills check. The adventurers have various skills. There's might, there's arcane, there's guile, there's logic, there's charm, and there's spirit. Okay? Mm -hmm. And Marty talked about these contracts. Because you're a guild master. You have received, you've received quests. You've gone to the little guy that's got the big gold exclamation point above his head. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And you've gotten that guy. You haven't had to go search for him like I have in Skyrim and listen to endless banner about how okay oh my gosh oh, why do you keep playing skyrim because all you do is complain about it well i don't complain i guess because it's taking up all my time so anyway <laughs> you have to figure out and this is part of it this is part i know there's not deck building but to me there is deck building because i'm trying to figure out what is some of the best 
uh, skills that I want to help me battle the contracts? Because there's a strategy in this game, Marty, because do I want to be multi-skilled? Because when we played, I tried to concentrate on two skills Mm -hmm. and that hurt me at the end of the game. Because once again, here, here comes a spoiler. I have never played a game so much that I like that pissed me off as much as this game. (laughs) God, I was mad. I was pissed. So the contracts you talked about. So the contracts basically will say, okay, if you can achieve this amount in this skill or this amount in this skill, you complete the contract. And how you achieve that is the adventurers that you send out. What's one of the skills? Give me one of the skill names. Might. Might. Let's say I send out two people and they have one has two in might, the other has three. You combine those, pick up five D6s and you roll them. You sum them all up. If it's greater than the skill check on that contract, you complete it, you get it. Mm-hmm. So that's why you want to pick adventures that maybe are similar in some aspects. But Tony, I guess you were too focused on only just two. Then you may have had a situation where the contracts that came out you didn't have the right skills to get any of those. Absolutely. And that was late in the game. I'm like, cause I kept thinking I've got might and I've got arcane. So I'm thinking I'm pretty well balanced here because I kept mm-hmm. seeing them. And then suddenly the board was full of guile and logic and charm. And I'm like, Oh, this is not good. Now, You've got various levels of exclamation points over their heads. You've got the basic easy exclamation points, medium Mm -hmm. exclamation points, and then the legendary exclamation points. Right. And when you complete a contract, more strategy, it is up to that person to put the next contract on the board. And it could be any of those three levels. Any of those three. And that's also very important that you're like, Mm -hmm. ooh, uh, let's get some legendary out here. They'll be harder to... More points, but harder to complete, but I've got a great team. How do you even get to that point of being able to have enough adventurers to go out there to complete those big contracts? You kind of need to roll all the way back down to that very first action I mentioned, which was the build. When you take the build action, you're going to spend gold to get hammers. Some of the buildings that you build required a certain number of hammers to build, like to expand your stable, which will increase the number of actions you can have per round, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can, like I said, you can increase the number of adventurers that go out, or you can uh, get a bigger bar in order to get more gold at the end of the round. And there's a scale. The first hammer costs like two gold, and then the next hammer costs three gold. And you could buy as many hammers as you want. But here's where the programming part comes in, and this is cool. If you're the first one to build, awesome. And I need three hammers. I could spend two, five, eight gold maybe in order to get three hammers. And then you move the tracker up to there and it stays there. Tony, if you go later in the round and build, the hammers start at that cost Mm -hmm. and then increase from there. So if you really want to build and don't have a lot of money, then you want to build early in the round. But let's say, Tony, you and I both were like, uh, we want to build in our first action. When we pull that screen back and it's like, oh, crap, we're both building at the same time. Whatever adventures we sent out, we pick whatever skill we want to do a skill check on, typically the one that's the highest. We're both going to grab a handful of dice based on the total number of that skill, roll it. Whoever has the highest gets to go first. So each one of these places, if you resolve a location at the same time, there's a conflict resolution. And for the building, it's just simply doing a skill check. On the build, you talk about the contested and the skill checks, but why am I including adventurers with the build? I, I, you know, I put the build icon there. Why don't I just leave it blank? Because I know I'm going to build. Because let's say you take the build and I don't have enough money there. 
One of the things right. we can always do in any order is we can go out and, and do wandering or complete a contract. Yes. So that's very important. That's why everybody, that's why when you're assigning these uh, adventures, it's always going to be in the orders because you may have to, you may not be able to get to do what you want, but you may be able to complete something else that's as beneficial. Right. And so when, uh, let's say for example, Tony, that you got to do a build and I just didn't have enough money because now it's too expensive. So you're like, say you do a wonder, I'll pick one of my skills of the adventures are there whichever the highest is, do a skill check. I add up all the dice and there's a table that will tell you, oh, well, if you rolled this amount, you'll get some money, you may get some fame, et cetera, like that, depending on how well you rolled. Or like you said, a private contract, it's at the beginning of the game, you're dealt a private contract that you can just complete on your own. If you ever do, it also gives you victory points. You can get some more private contracts to the game. I love that. So if you ever go to a location, it's like, well, great. Somebody got the adventures I wanted. Somebody made it too expensive or whatever. You always have the option to do this other action on those turns. And the buildings are very important. Like Mari talked about, you know, if you, you start by only doing two orders, you can expand so you can go three orders and only one person can do four orders because that's the last building. There's only one of those in the mm -hmm. thing. You can, you can add adventurers with the mess hall. You can increase how many can go out, which is important to be able to complete the various tasks. And then of course the gold at the start of your, at the start of the round is contributed by the bar. So that's important as well. So all that's, you, you can't delay the build. And there's one more important building, the in-game scoring bonus. Your temple, your banner, whatever you want to call it, it's there for you to <laughs> Whatever out. you want to call it. Oh, just call it what it is in the rule book. No, I'm not going to because that's not how I play the game. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So yeah, so each of you can have one in-game scoring bonus that you can take. It's called the prestige upgrade, okay? There you go, the prestige. And mine was actually getting those high-level buildings. So I was the one buying all those high-level buildings that was only one of to try to get the most points. And I think mine was a certain number of contracts, uh, if I remember correctly. So there's multiple options. So it's important to know what those say before you start the game so you can at least program towards that as well. And we talked about the adventurers. You know, the next phase is go hire some adventurers to go out with your party, kill, slay dragons, whatever you want to do. And, and now these adventures are special. Not only do they have skills, but they also have some passive abilities. Yes. They also have abilities that apply during certain moon phases because there's three moon phases or two moon phases. Two moon phases. Yeah, because every round there's the uh, phase is going to change between full and dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, you're going to track that. And like you said, some of the adventurers will say, well, this is only active during this particular phase of the moon, or some are active all the time. Right. And uh, when you go get adventurers, you missed assigned gold because there's a cost for the adventurers. And depending on what phase it is, their cost will vary. There's different le levels of adventurers. You cannot buy a higher level till you buy the one below it. Now, now here, Tony... If you're contested, let's say you and I contest for the same adventurers, whoever put the most money towards the adventurers will get it. If we both tied there, we do another skill check. Same thing with the buildings. You got to go ahead and divvy up your gold mm -hmm. as you're placing your orders. So when I build, it's like, I'm going to commit this much gold. When I go adventures, I'm going to commit this much gold. The nice thing about building is if you don't use it all, you don't lose it. With the adventurers, whatever you put, you're spending everything. That was one of my favorite things in this game when you would reveal your screen and we'd look at you and go, Marty, you going to pay for them buildings? <laughs> I forget to allocate gold. So I guess I'm wondering this turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's easy to do. Now, the cool thing is you've already talked about what contracts are. Mm -hmm. 
But the resolution conflict and contracts is super interesting. If you and I go to the same contract location, we start talking to each other. It's like, all right, Tony, we, we both want this quest. We're both standing in front of this NPC with the exclamation mark over his head. It's like, look, he's going to give us some gold. He's going to give us some prestige. And, and maybe, a, and then somebody actually gets the card itself, right? Because some, some of the in-game abilities are like, you know, you get points for however many contracts you finish. Right. And, you know, it takes me back to like Star Wars Galaxies. When we played that one, you could go to the kiosk and get the various contracts. Yeah, And we would all share in the bounty of that. Even though we had different quests, we would always make sure we got in the same general location of shooting the, uh, maybe in the wombat nest, or I forget what it was. We had to go out and right. kill these things. And I always would shoot the wrong ones, and the guys would get people mad at me. So anyway, uh, so we could sit there and look <laughs> at this contract, and it's like, Tony, I'll take the, uh, the gold, and you can have the card. Okay. And you go, Martin, I'm good with that. Each of you have a token. One side is red, one side is green. Cooperate or conflict. If you're going to conflict and say, nah, I'm going to stab him in the back, you have red showing. If you're going to cooperate, you have green showing. So you put out your fist and you show it. If both of it's green, awesome. You combine your adventurers together. You do a combined skill check and more than likely you're going to make it. You split the rewards, you go your merry way. If you don't happen to make it, nobody gets anything. But Tony, if he's like, <laughs> I'm going to screw Marty over. And then you show a red token. And then uh, I'm green. So you get to do it by yourself. And if you achieve it, awesome. Except that now your skill check goes up by the number of dice that you're getting ready to roll. So let's say you're going to be rolling six dice and the skill check was 20. Instead of 20, that skill check is now 26. So if you screw somebody over, there is a penalty for it. Didn't World of Warcraft, when you would do a raid, if you did it together, joined a quest, didn't they like split the loot or and you would, yeah. and certain people would click on it and you would, and sometimes people it would, would do a roll. It would do a roll. But before then, some people would, you know, does anybody need that? Does anybody need that? Well, don't roll, don't roll, don't roll. Yep. And then you'd roll anyway. Well, who got that? I can't believe you got that. That happened a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now let's say both of us screw each other over. We reveal our tokens. And by the way, multiple people could be involved in this, not just two people. If there's a bunch of red tokens that we're seeing there, then what's going to happen is, is each of us are going to make a skill check. And then whoever exceeds their success number by the highest amount will win that contract. So, so for example, I need a skill check of like 26 and I exceed by five. You need a skill check of like 30, but you ex exceed by six. Then Tony, you'll win that contract. So that's how it's resolved. If multiple people show red tokens when they open their hands. So if I open my hand and you're showing red and I'm showing red and he's showing red, then we are all battling it out. Mm -hmm. And what, but what if one person only shows red and two show green, then the two green people get nothing if that person wins. Yes, that's correct. But if the red person does their skill check and loses, then the green will still try to complete their contract working together with the um, agreement that they had before they revealed. And that's something we didn't get to experience. It seemed like every time we were playing, it was only two people competing at the same time for the same contract. Mm -hmm. I can imagine the chaos that would ensue if we had, oh, I don't know, four people playing, we all went for the same contract, something legendary at the same time. That's why I would love to do four player. And I think that's one of those things, too, why maybe uh, you like this is because there's not a lot of player downtime. So, you know, during your turns, you you make your decisions, you reveal, and then you start resolving as fast as you can. So it goes pretty quick. 
But the tension, that tension of when you reveal uh, those orders, and everybody looking around and say, oh, we're going to be battling over this or battling over that. That was what made this game a lot of fun. Now, this game will end after nine rounds. You're going to count up who has the most victory points through victory points that you got through the game. And you're going to be getting victory points constantly throughout the game because when you build stuff, you get victory points. When you recruit people, you get victory points. I like that part too. And then at the end, you're going to have like these in-game score conditions if you built uh, that right addition, which could give you in-game scoring, and then you'll, you'll determine a winner. Now, I didn't mention this, Tony. We did mention about the full moon and half moon, but also on rounds three, six, and nine, there's a blood moon. And when that occurs, the state of the board will change. And I appreciated this too, because if the contracts got stagnant and like you're having trouble getting some of those completed, or there's no adventures that you really wanted, during that blood moon phase, you're going to wipe the board put down new adventures, put down new contracts, and continue on from there. You know also what has a blood moon? What's that? Zelda Breath of the Wild. It does have a blood moon, and it actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, and guess what happens? What happens? All the monsters come back. Ah, so it has kind of a reset of its own there during the blood moon. Let's see how all this works together. Oh. Great ideas come together. <laughs> and also during the blood moon phase, you're also going to get uh, some more private contracts. Again, that you can do at any point in time. You can either wonder or you can try to complete your own little private contract and do a little skill check and earn some victory points that way. All right, Tony, what are your final thoughts on this game? So for me, one of the biggest pluses of this game, you mentioned some of the things you enjoy, but for me, it's always, yeah, the tension of the reveal, but for me, it's the tension of the dice. Completing the contracts, becoming, getting one short, rolling all snake eyes, whatever you do, you're going to have to deal with dice. There's dice mitigation. There are various things or contracts that come out that can help you that allow you to mitigate the dice. So don't think of, oh, good gosh, more dice that I have to deal with. And if they mess me up, then there's ways to get around that. Yeah, there's actually things that you can build mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, for your location to help you uh, change and re-roll dice and stuff like that, too. So you can actually upgrade your building through the building process and make it easier to mitigate bad Rolls. I don't think we mentioned this, but it was one where you could flip it to a six or get to re-roll mm -hmm. twice. You get to pick one of those when you're doing your building. And that's mm -hmm. very important because some of us just chose to go build it with a six or re-roll two. And then, but, uh, and then that applies to only a certain uh, skill test. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't do them for them all. You had a limited number of slots. So then you kind of focusing on these particular skills and uh, you would pick that one in order to do, like you said, pick one of those two abilities, either flip one to a six or re-roll. So two thumbs up from me. You'll hear it again in the squirrelies. This is definitely going to be on. Wow. Hey, this is going to be on Tony's game of the year. I mean, we've been playing a ton, but I'm going to tell you, this is one of those games that just, you know, even though it made me so mad, I enjoyed it. <laughs> tremendously it's amazing isn't it so cool that just like out of the blue like a game i hadn't even thought about even trying out or checking just due to the art on the box alone and the name it's like i'm interested in this and it became something that we just really enjoyed there's probably a lot of hidden gems out there like this that doesn't get a lot of love 
And so I was glad that we found one that I hadn't heard many people play that we got a chance to. And that's why I would love for people to go out and at least try this. Uh, I think it's on Miniature Market, Tony, for a pretty darn good price. $39.99 at your local Miniature Market or online yeah. if you don't have a Miniature Market that's local. Now, it's not the big fancy Kickstarter version, but that's okay. I mean, you don't yeah. need it. You don't need the big fancy. You can supplement your own gold and all that. You don't need all that. What's important is the mechanics of the game, and uh, we, we really enjoyed it. So that is Guildmaster from Good Games Publishing. Like I said, you're probably going to hear about this game from us again, and oh, such good times. Hey, so you just heard me mention Miniature Market about you can get Guildmaster there. Did you know they sell other games beside Guildmaster at Miniature Market? They sell a ton of games over there, and it's time to pull together that Christmas want list. That's right. Because you can go out, you can actually create wish lists, give them to people. It's like, hey, here's what I want. Go out there to Miniature Market and get that for me. I made sure to put over $100 worth of games and materials and supplies and product on that list so that you can get free shipping. See, I'm looking out for you as the person buying me stuff. Also, be sure to be saving up that money in case people don't go there and get what you want because the big holiday sale's coming. Don't know when, we all think it's gonna be after Thanksgiving, but in today's world, 2020, it could happen at any time. Like Prime, Amazon Prime's happening in the middle of October. What's up with that? Even though you heard this <laughs> after the middle of October, so. Back to that curtain thing. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, make sure to go check out Miniature Market Daily. See what new games are coming out. And subscribe to their newsletter. Follow them on Twitter. Again, go check them out at miniaturemarket.com. One of my favorite worker placement games that came out a few years ago is Raiders of the North Sea. We talked about this game in depth back in episode 144, if you want to go check that out. Well, designer Shim Phillips and publishers Renegade Games and Garfield Games released kind of a, a rethemed version of Raiders of the North Sea called Raiders of Scythia. Now, this has the same worker placement mechanic that I really like. You start out with one worker on your turn. You're going to place that worker somewhere on a board. You're going to take the action of where you place it. You're going to pick up a worker from some other place on the board, and you're going to take the action where you picked up that worker, and then it goes on to the next player. has a lot of the same mechanics as Raiders in that you start with your little hometown. That's where you can get resources. You can get money. You can recruit crew members. But then eventually, you're going to take that crew, and you're going to go out and go raiding, Raiding is going to give you victory points. It's going to give you additional resources. The further out you raid, the tougher it's going to be, but the more rewarding it's going to be. And that's the basic mechanics of both those games together. But Tony, they're not exactly a one-to-one -one relationship. But I will say one thing, Mario. What I always love is when you do a game setup and it's 17 steps, and then you go, how to play the game? It's two steps. <laughs> That's kind of funny to me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess the big thing is, is like, okay, that step where I put the worker, what do I exactly do where that worker goes? Or what ha exactly happens when I pick up the worker over there? But yeah, it really is two steps. Put down, pick up. Next player. Yeah. And I mean, in some of these, I mean, the barracks, 
You know, when we talk about the various actions that we have in a hometown where your barracks can heal people, and that's something you're going to mention is one of the difference. Well, you've already mentioned it. Tell did, us. Did I mention this? I think I did. What's this healing thing we're talking about? Well, this healing thing is, and you told me this was different because I didn't, I had forgotten this. And in the sea one. Raiders, yeah. Raiders. North Sea. Raiders. Well, they're both Raiders. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is it Raiders of the North? Wow. There's too many things that sound the same. Empires of the North. Raiders of North Sea. Okay, go ahead. So you get wounds in this one. When you mm-hmm. when you go out, your people are raiding. Dice are being thrown. Axes are being swung. People are going to get hurt. <laughs> that's it. And when they get hurt, they lose some strength. So that's going to really hurt your ability to go raiding later. Yeah, so just like in Raiders of North Sea, there's some dice that you're going to roll. But in Raiders of the North Sea, you were rolling to uh, add to your the strength of the crew that you're taking out there. Here, you're doing the same thing, but some of those die have blood droplets on them. And uh, you're going to add up all the blood droplets on the dice that you roll. Then you're going to apply damage to your crew. Well, that's going to decrease their strength by the amount of damage that they've taken. Now, if you remember in North Sea, Raiders of the North Sea, what happens is, is basically, up, oh, you know, they're gone. They're killed. Take them away. Take them out of the game, which was done with the little Valkyrie icon. So you, if you got one of those Valkyrie icons, you got to sacrifice one of your Vikings. That was noble, right? There was this whole Valkyrie track where if you moved up it, you got additional victory points. That's gone from Raiders of Scythia. Something else that's gone is also the armor track that you could also boost to help you with your strength when you raid. That is also gone. The only thing you're really tracking now, Tony, is the way you win the game, which is victory points. Keep it simple for me. That's what mm-hmm. I like. Don't make it hurt. What's the other big difference? Was that it? The Valkyrie? The big difference also is at the very beginning of the game, you get a hero. Mm. There is now a hero in play which gives special abilities. And so you're going to have a hero. Your hero never dies. He doesn't take any damage, but it's the crew that will be changing. So your hero has special abilities. And there's a certain place in town where you can go and activate uh, the hero abilities. Again, most of the crew members have two functions. It's like when you put them in play, you may get something and there's a, a passive ability that like when you raid, you may, you know, get something. It's like, Hey, you get a plus two strength. If you raid this particular area of the board, etc. So all that still applies just like in uh, Raiders of the North Sea. The one crew member, Hey, if he gets injured, takes a little sword to the head, takes an arrow to the knee. Have you heard it yet? Oh, multiple times. And there was something else that they kept telling me. I forget what it was. So anyway, that's the Skyrim, Skyrim link people. So if he does, then he can take this other resource that then you can later use to spend it to help mitigate die. There's always this die mitigation in this game that you're allowed to use. But one of the things that I had forgotten about, and you can tell me if it's true with Raiders of the North Sea, is when you go and do raiding Mm -hmm. and you conquer the area, there is plunder. And this plunder is then used to complete quests later. Because when you plunder it, then you flip it over and a quest is revealed. So that's different from Raiders of the North Sea. Those tiles aren't out there. You're going to plunder, like you said. You successfully raid, you're going to get resources. But back at your hometown, there's a building that you can go to there to try to complete quests. Raiders of Scythia. Yes. When the game is set up in the 17 steps, quest tiles go out onto the board randomly. Yes. And then plunder is added. Yes, to each of those locations. Yes. And when I go raid there, I get to claim the plunder. And when I do that, it then flips over for someone to claim that quest later. Yes. By going to the chief's tent. Yes. 
And Raiders of the North Sea is the same action there. It's been so long since I played it. Yeah, so in Raiders of the North Sea, back in your hometown or, or back at the bottom of the board, uh, there's these, yes, there's these kind of like same things, these quest tiles, these three stacks of tiles, and you could place a worker there and go turn in some of the plunder that you got for victory points. Now all those tiles are basically up on the board uh, in locations. Okay, so, so that's a slight difference. Because when we were playing Raiders of Scythia, one of the things that was frustrating me that you took advantage of, you sorry butt dog, was the fact that I could go out and plunder and then I would turn over a quest title. Or raid, yeah. When I raid, I, gang, I, I plunder. Is that plunder? Cannot plunder be a verb? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about how it is in the rule. You're, you're raiding if people want to go like look at the rules and everything and then you're... Your you gather plunder. Okay. Yeah, there you go. So I, I have to raid tomato, as a verb. Tomato, tomato. Well, I'm, I have to raid as the verb and gather plunder as the noun. I guess plunder. I guess you could plunder. I'm plundering. Plunder verb too. Yeah. I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> what are we talking about? The fact that you need the plunder <laughs> after you raid so that you can complete a quest because without the plunder... You can't complete a quest. And since they're random, you really don't know what's under there. So maybe did you get the right plunder? So you may sure. benefit from someone else raiding and flipping over quests. And then suddenly you have what you need to complete that quest. And that person just gave you some victory points. And if you're not careful, people like Marty will gather up 40 quest tiles before you know it and completely decimate the rest of you. Hey, I'm just... Saying you should have, uh, y'all should have been doing that. It's how you get victory points. You know, you, you, know, you win the game with victory points. So in this game, to me, it felt like I was always doing step one, step two, step three, rinse and repeat. Okay. I was always process flowing, always doing the same thing over and over. I have to build up and keep yep. doing that. For this game, it's, it's fine, but you've got to be strategic in how you're doing it because of those randomness. You just can't always do the same thing. You do have to come in and figure out how you're going to gather certain ones, get the right crews. But I did feel like I got into a rut with the game. Okay. You must've felt that way with Razor North Sea too. And I'll, oh, I said, side note, by the way, when we're doing the comparisons, we're doing straight comparisons of the base game of Raiders of the North Sea and the base game of Raiders of Scythia. Cause a lot of expansions came out to Raiders of the North Sea, which would have changed some of these because some of the stuff that was put in the expansions was incorporated into Scythia. So just let that be known. We're doing a comparison of base game to base game. Okay. So you probably felt the same way with the, with the base game too, because early on you're collecting resources, you know, you're going to the town, you're going to the barracks, you're recruiting new crew members with special abilities. Then you're going to go out and raid, and then you're going to have to get certain color workers. It's just like in the other one where you have different color workers, where if you want to raid far, far away uh, in the Scythia, you're going to need a red worker. Well, you can't get a red worker unless you raid one of those middle areas that you can uh, collect one of those red workers to be used later on. So it is a step-by-step -step process. Put up your crew, go raid. Uh-oh, I've got damage. I've got to get rid of that damage. I've got to build up some strength. Oh, look, there's a new way to build up strength. This is different. We can attach horses. We can attach eagles. These horses and eagles can provide victory points. They can provide additional strength. Some of the eagles let you repeat some of the actions uh, on the cards when you visit uh, the chieftain's tent, um, et cetera. So that's brand new too. 
But yes, and then you're going to build up your strength, go out, raid again, soak up some damage. So it is kind of a rinse repeat, but it never bothered me. It just kind of like it was building on top of itself for me. Uh, it didn't bother me. It's just that as we got near the end of the game, it was more of like, do I have enough to do this? I really should have changed out my crew, changed some of the, the capabilities of the crew, killed a few people off because they weren't really doing a lot. One of the things I didn't do was go get enough crew. Now you're always limited and it's on the player board. Beautiful player boards from the standpoint of reminding you of things. You can only have eight, eight of anything. And again, that's one of the things the expansions added in Raiders of the North Sea was the player boards, but we're comparing base to base. I guess I would say maybe the endings of most of these games, Raiders of the North Sea, this one, maybe a little anticlimactic uh, because you kind of see when the ending's coming, right? I mean, you probably can look on the board and go, oh, it looks like you're probably going to go raid or et cetera to trigger the end of the game. And, And then at that point, I guess you are just counting up victory points at the end see how much you know okay add on your victory points the horses the eagles and everything like that and then go from there right and a game needs to just be fun and this is i mean like you said it's easy place a worker pull a worker roll some dice and see if you got victory now a lot of people you know this is a euro game it's like oh dice in a euro game come on but there, like you said there's ways to mitigate the dice rolls the cards the crew members can help you in certain locations to give you bonus strength uh there's resources that you can spend when you raid to boost your strength you can get the horses and eagles to boost your strength. So lots of times when you go to raid, you probably pretty much know I will be successful when I do this. The only question is how much damage will you take in return? Right. That's the part that I like is the whole managing of uh, damage tokens. And when you get them, you can apply them however you want. You can spread them out among all your crew members or kill off this crew member, etc. And there are ways to heal crew members too, back at the town and back in the main location, or you may have uh, crew members that can help you heal. Okay. One thing I want to talk about in the stables and the eagles. One thing that we probably might've missed a few times is to get a horse required one thing where an eagle required something else. And if you didn't yeah. pay it, you got to watch that. Some, but the iconography, that's one thing you always look for is, is the iconography fairly straightforward? And it is on this. Now I'll admit some of the um, plunder tokens, it's just gray or, or black or brown disc. But on mm-hmm. the board, it was kind of like, well, what color is this? And what does this symbol represent? You play Raiders of the North on the Switch. I do. Did that help you in this game? 100%. Because now I've played enough times, I kind of had a strategy. It's a slow roll, right? I'm trying to build it to the point. Oh, I did notice too that I was probably out raiding faster than y'all were. So I had that, those resources I got from doing the raiding ready to go. So when the crest popped up, I could go and grab those real quick. So I think that is one thing. I did quest earlier, which got me resources quicker. I said quest, I meant raid earlier. Yep. Do you think of a way that I could stop your slow roll? Is there a way for that interaction there's not a lot of player interaction. And it's kind of like Raiders of the North Sea. I mean, the really only player interaction is, oh, you dog, you went to the place I wanted to go. But <laughs> I can always pick up that piece that you put there and take the exact same action right now. There is the whole thing, um, that red valuable worker that mm-hmm. you use, you may get stuck to where, shoot, I need money or a crew member. I'm going to have to spend this red worker back in the main area just so I go get some extra money. And then somebody else comes in, ooh, free red worker that I can now use to go raid with far away. But it's a give and take. 
eventually they're going to have to give that up as well after they raid because they're going to then claim a worker from the raid. And then it's going to come around to you. It's not like you're ever going to be screwed with a blue worker, blue worker, blue worker all the time. You're going to get your chances gray and res, which will allow you to do that. So all in all, I mean, fun game, easy to learn, a lot of strategy going on there, dealing with the crew members, understanding what you're going to do. Hope you get the right draw, drafting the right crew members. That's always important, keeping an eye on that. Uh, For me, I would put this on the table over Raiders of the North Sea. Why? Because of the wounds. Plain and simple. I like the easy button. Give me the easy button and I'm ready to go. So for me, this is the one I want on the table. You know what? I'm probably going to be the same way too. I really like that wound management. And I think... I was, didn't think I was going to like getting rid of the armor and the Valkyrie tracks because it's like, oh, these are a couple extra things that I can also work on to move up these tracks and get extra victory points. But then it's like, well, do I move up one but not the other? It did simplify it to where it removed that, but I don't. But because of the wounds were added, I still had to make some interesting decisions. I think this board's easier to read as far as the way it's laid out. It's very straight there's a there's the top part of the board which is like your hometown then there's samaria there's assyria there's persia very easily laid out uh probably easier to probably read the raiders of the north sea the art is different art subjective i think i may like the art of raiders of the north sea better uh, better i just like those big caricatures those big vikings the colors and everything this is a very unique cool stylistic art too that's not going to determine whether i'll play this one over the other one if it's just base games only, Tony, I probably too will say Raiders of Scythia. Raiders of Scythia from Renegade Games and what's the one that starts with the G? Garfield Games. Garfield, like the cat? Lasagna? No, it's G-A-R-P-H-I-S. Why do you do that? No, it's not like the cat. Let's I know, it's G-A-R-P-H-I-L-L. So yeah. it is two L's. I was wondering how many L's there were. Okay. I didn't need to pay five bucks. I know. And uh, game design by Shem Phillips, art and graphic design by Sam Phillips. You think they're related? Yeah, I think they might be. Okay. Yeah. Go check it out. If you've never played Raiders of the North Sea with all mm-hmm. those expansions, you know, Marty and I are saying, give this one a try and see if you like it. Welcome back to another riveting discussion on puzzles. That's right, puzzles. Something me and my wife. I fall to pieces, if you can tell from the bumper music that came in, if Marty remembered to put it in. But this time, we're going to talk to you about three puzzles that we've recently done, or two that I've helped do, and one that Donna did with our daughter, Rebecca. The first one is from a Thomas Kincaid painting of the DC superheroes. Well, Rebecca was really enthralled to do it because she loves the uh, superheroes. And it was fun because it was the superheroes, and we knew, you know, all the characters on it. So that made it a lot of fun. It was um, a difficult puzzle to do because it was um, a lot of black and black was with everybody, not just Batman. So it was all over the place. That was a tough puzzle. 
the best part of that for me was I get to walk by the puzzle and keep going, I'm Batman. That was about the, my extent of contribution. I put a few pieces in, but you know, you talked about the difficulty and we didn't discuss this. It was the fact that a lot of those colors throughout the whole puzzle were the same. Yes. A lot of black, a lot of red, a lot of blue, uh, quite a bit of green actually too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, green. I mean, and what, let's see, Batman's got a black outfit. Superman's got blue and red. And then, of course, there's the Green Lantern and Aquaman. Oh, they all have green. And you're sitting there going, oh, my gosh. Don't forget Wonder Woman, the Wonder red Woman, and black. black. It all shines through. It all comes and through. And actually, it was kind of blue, but it was a dark blue. So overall, though, um, it was a, uh, let's see, I think it was like a 1500 count puzzle. We had a good time doing that one. Um, I'm sorry, a thousand, a thousand count puzzle. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed doing that with my daughter. Some of the pieces didn't fit too well together. I don't remember the pieces not fitting too well together, but they didn't connect well to the point where you could pick up five or six pieces and move them. But it could be because we were not the first person to do this puzzle. So maybe with it being taken apart too many times, maybe that's what happens. Um, I'm not sure. I like it when they kind of stay together and I can, you know, put something together on the outside and, and then pick it up and put it in the middle. And the border went together fairly easy, maybe? Yeah, that one we did fine on the border. Yeah, did fine on the border. And another puzzle we did, I'm um, not going to really talk about, we had a lot of trouble because there were, the, the border was just wild. Well, the whole puzzle, that one, all the puzzles were very odd pieces. And when we sorted out the edge pieces, we ended up with about three times as many pieces that could have been edge pieces and weren't. <laughs> yeah. so. And they were weird cut. And I, for, I forget, it was, it was one that you can pick up in Walmart. It had candy on it. And it was, I don't remember, I think it was 500 pieces. It was a, it was a quick, fan, fun puzzle. It wasn't quick. I thought it the was a whole little. thing was reds, blues, yellows, and greens, and in oh. swirls. No, it was it wasn't quick. It was fun. I enjoyed that one a lot because the pieces were very weird cuts. Some of them were circular and wrapped around another piece, and you'd think you were looking for two pieces, and you know, and it would end up being like three pieces because there was one in the middle and another one that wrapped around it. So that was a fun puzzle. I really enjoyed that one actually. Although we're not talking about that one. We're not going to talk about that one? You don't want to talk about that? you said these other three puzzles is what we're talking about. Okay, well, that's fine. That wasn't one of them. That wasn't one. Well, the DC puzzle, you can still pick up at various puzzle uh, websites. The next one we did, which took uh, a good while, was a Ravensburger called the Atrium Garden Puzzle 1500-piece puzzle. Now, this one you can only get on eBay. Um, It's an older puzzle, and I call it the mirror puzzle because it seemed like... It was very symmetrical. Yeah. What happened on the right happened on the left, all the way top to bottom. So you pull out all these pieces for something very specific and you'd actually end up making two of whatever it was. And what was so interesting about this puzzle I found was that the uh, the top part of the puzzle was a blue roof. The middle of the puzzle was a white back wall because it's basically all it is is a garden full of tulips. and It's like a greenhouse. Uh, yeah, a greenhouse. And then as you move down the puzzle, then you move into the different colors of flowers. But it's 1,500 pieces and you think, oh, well, that really bisects up the shapes. So it's kind of, okay, you got a little piece with red on it. Well, there's all these flowers with red on it. I don't know how you meant. What was frustrating is you gave me the blue to do and I'd put maybe 10 pieces together and I'd look down and you would have 20 to 30 done. I let you do the top third of the puzzle. I did pretty much the bottom two thirds. 
Yeah. Now, I helped out a little bit when it came to the flowers. Uh, yeah, right at the end. Yes, and I also helped out with the little basket in the middle. There was this little basket had pretty, I don't know what those hyacinths were. All right, hyacinth. you can have your credit where you want. I want you credit. pretty much kept staying on the blue uh, because glass. It was, because it was difficult. I mean, the lines, I mean, basically you have rafters all with glass on them and they're running, they're crossing, but you have to flip it a certain way and that could be on either side of it. And then also something we've discovered, and we'll talk about this next, is a challenge I have with puzzles. So that was the Robinsberger. You can get this on eBay, like I said, um, 1500 piece. That's pretty challenging. It was a lot of pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big puzzle. Unfortunately, the, p- the pieces didn't stick together as well. So you had some trouble moving them back and forth on the puzzle. I Again, I had that problem. Yes. And again, that was not a brand new puzzle. Somebody handed that down to us. Yeah. Because I found out in talking to our Robinsberger rep, they can print almost up, they can print a thousand puzzles before they have to change out the die. Wow, that's pretty cool. Well, you don't seem like a thousand. Think about how many they make. You know, that's pretty expensive. That's why puzzles aren't cheap. How many do they make of each puzzle? That I don't know. Sure, it varies based on content. Right. And these are hand carved on the edges so that they can get sharp cuts. I was like, there's a lot that goes into these puzzles. And how do they pick the pictures? I don't know. From my standpoint, you know, that one was pretty tough. I appreciate you letting me work on this. But the real reason we're here is we did the puzzle overlight from Renegade Game Studios. They sent us these puzzles that they just released. They had them on Kickstarter. You can buy them in their shop. And we did overlight, which is the role playing game from Renegade. Which I know nothing about. And I don't either because I've never played it. So to Together, for you and I, this is something that's interesting. We did not, we don't have any background, but what did you think of the artwork? Well, you don't need a background. You just need to uh, know what the picture is. And one of my favorite things was that they included a full size poster, I guess is the best word I have for it, inside the box that matched the size of the puzzle. So when somebody put some of it together incorrectly, we were able to figure out that it was a little too high and needed to come down. Let's explore that. Why was I putting them together incorrectly? Because some of the pieces were cut almost identical to where they belong. I mean, they, they, they really did fit, sort of. Yes, there was a lot of pieces that fit and you would do, you know, you could hold them up to the light test. I will say this one held together perfectly. You could put you know, six, eight pieces together and pick it up and move it. It was great. But yes, there were pieces that were not only similar in color, but similar in shape and they would fit perfectly into a space to the point where you could go all the way around it. Normally, you know, in a puzzle, you can put a put a piece in the wrong place. But by the time you get to the third or at least the fourth size, you know for a fact that it doesn't go there because it doesn't fit together. And that did not happen. We had a whole section. We probably had, what, over 10% of a whole of a section of the puzzle done. And it didn't go where it was. Like I said, it was off by two solid rows and we had to shift it. And then at the very end, we had this one piece that we just knew went in a specific place and it would not go in that spot. And at the very end, we realized there was another piece that was in the wrong place, surrounded on all four sides. It fit fine, but then you realized the color didn't quite match. It, it went two rows up where the other one where we thought the other one went that didn't fit so yeah I had a little bit of a problem with similar pieces in that puzzle and I shouldn't say I had a problem with it but I ended up having you had a problem problem because I was the one doing it (laughs) 
which which there's a reason that I I can't match clothes. We know that. That's a given. And he doesn't see colors either. I'll say, no, see, this one's lighter purple than this I, now one. Now, I see colors. Let's let's be clear. You see colors, but you don't always see the shades. When I say, I need one that's more of the turquoise shade, you're like, like this, and you hand me something that's sky blue, and it's like, no, and I have to show you what I mean by turquoise. If I see a piece by itself, it's the difference in the color is not known. But when you start putting them side by side, like if I go into Lowe's or Home Depot and look at a rack of colors, I can see the colors. True. But if you tell me that that's blue, no, that's a little bit lighter blue, or that's this by itself, I'm going to be like, okay, like our walls in our house, if it wasn't for the... by themselves. It's on a table of a whole bunch of colors, and you should be able to see the different shades of green and the different shades of blue. Not when they're that close, because you got to admit, there was purple and dark blue, and it was a dark purple and a dark blue, and this was her sword, and I'm just like, holy cow, and that's where one of the pieces got screwed up, and then there were these mountains or these... Which one goes up from the bottom, stalactites or stalagmites? Can't remember, not worth the $5. So anyway, we had these things pointing down, and they were the same color as the sword, but they were slightly off. And I found a piece up there wrong, thank goodness, before you did, or I would have never heard the end of it. But I was just like, holy cow, this is it was it, this was very difficult for me because I couldn't really tell what part of the puzzle it belonged in because of the shades. Near the end, though, I was, I was putting them in fairly quick because I could tell the shapes better. Well, and when you get down towards the end, I mean, the end of a puzzle, the last hundred pieces go together pretty quickly because you're limited on what's left. It's when you have, you know, 900 pieces sitting there, the hundred for the edge and then 900 pieces that go in the middle that makes it a lot harder. So it was challenging. It was fun. And people are probably sitting there going, well, how, how could you, when you have a bunch of white pieces that you got to put together. There was a lot of white pieces, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is we completed a lot of the white, but we couldn't complete. It's a picture of a lady. She's got a sword and she's got armor. And then you have a, a mage there. He's casting a spell. And then you have a baboon and he's doing something. I don't know what he's doing. But anyway, all that's on this picture. And don't forget about the bunny rabbit. Oh, the bunny that's got uh, antlers that's got growth on them. A jackalope. I guess this would be a jackalope. And for some odd reason, the mage is holding red balls. And uh, like I said, I don't know the RPG. I'm sitting there looking at this and I'm trying to think, why did we leave her armor to the end? And because it was mostly gray and white. Black in the bottom. It had black because it ha- it was also uh, studded. So it was. Just, I'm just like, why are we leaving the middle? But that's because we came at this puzzle from the bottom, from the top, and met in the middle. Now, of this puzzle... What did you think of the artwork? I, I actually enjoyed the artwork. And again, I don't know the RPG, but um, I, uh, the colors were vibrant, which I love a good vibrant puzzle. We've done some that are just dark. And the one we did, and I think we talked about it last time, was that dog. And it was just the whole puzzle was kind of muted. This one had really bright uh, colors. I thought it was... Um, Pretty strange way. Strange, no, that's fine. It is. It wasn't pretty like the tulip fields of the Ravensburger, but it was the artwork was um, very pretty. I mean, for a painted picture, I mean, it was gorgeous. You put the like I said, put the 
poster up next to it, and it all jumped off. Very, very nice puzzle, thousand piece. Marty got the one from the Raiders that has a Viking on it with a lot of gold and yellow. Good luck, Marty. Yeah, good luck on that one. We'll see if the boy puts it together. I got a feeling it's going to be sitting in a box for a long time. And then we have the one from the card game Arboretum. You've played that. I know you don't remember. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, except it's a lot of purple. It's a ton (laughs) of purple because it's the big tree from the box art. Gorgeous. Uh, there beautiful looking puzzle although the game was the card art was amazing i liked that yeah yeah um and but right now next on the table is going to be two robinsburgers uh we have one uh snow white and my favorite character grumpy he's going to be put together and then we'll probably go to one of their new villainous pictures i haven't decided between scar or yzma which was from the Emperor's New Groove. One of those two. We just have to wait and see which one sounds floats our boat. So we'll see how that goes. But any final thoughts on the Renegade puzzle? I think, people, if you enjoy puzzles, it's a great challenge for $20. And the way puzzles, what puzzles cost now, it's a steal. Is that all that puzzle is? It's $20? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Puzzles are very expensive nowadays. Especially thousand piece puzzles, yes. well cut, what beautiful art. Yeah. So if you're into puzzles, be sure to get it. Any final thoughts on this, my dear? Nope. I figure we'll just have to figure out what comes next. Hey, Tony here. Just wanted to mention that during the puzzle segment, Donna and I forgot to mention that we actually have a copy of the Overlight puzzle from Renegade Games that we'd like to give away. This is not the one we completed, it is still sealed in the box. So you get this fun challenge. All you need to do is go out to the link provided in the show notes and submit an email address. And as a bonus entry, tell us what you call someone who puts a puzzle together. There's actually a word for that. There'll be a place for you to fill that in. Winner will be done through a random drawing within two weeks after this episode. So you only have two weeks upon the release of this episode. Good luck. Well, Tony, I must say, I think our second time doing the uh, Raiders of Scythia review went a lot sm- smoother than the first one. You know, I tell you what. <laughs> eight years of doing this podcast. Eight years of doing this podcast. And you would think everything that could go wrong would have happened in the first year. You would also think that you know pushing buttons would be easy. You would think that, you know, making sure a mic is plugged in was easy. You would make sure that you had the SD card in the recorder would be easy. But no, 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 no. Not rolling dice and taking names. We find another way to screw it up. I found another way to screw it up. Well, you got to find these ways. Like at the end of the episode when we were thought we were done. And I looked down as like, why are none of the lights on the recorder? Holy crap, it's not plugged in, and the batteries just went dead. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) So, I'm sweating bullets, because I do not want to have to re-record everything. Tony will kill me if I have to do this. Luckily, the only thing that was really cut out was really just the Raiders of the City review. So, we just... Got to go and talk about it again. I enjoy talking about the game again because I, you know, I enjoyed my time with it. So uh, okay. I got to reiterate some things. And the outro was much shorter because I had to go cook dinner. 
<laughs> That's true. That's true. But what's cool about this outro, it does give me a chance to mention one game that I want to tell you about that I played uh, last night with the family. Uh, we got a game from uh, Come On Games called Sugar Blast. Now, I'm sure, Tony, on your phone, you've probably played or heard of Candy Crush, mm-hmm. Bejeweled. You know how those games work, well we, right? well, we play Puzzle Quest on the Switch. Yes. So you got a board of items. You swap two adjacent items. You match at least three. You get stuff. Come On Games has released a tabletop version of that. Mm-hmm. It's this really cool plastic board. And you have these uh, different colored plastic tokens that you fill up the board with. On a person's turn, they'll take two tokens and swap them to try to create what they call a blast of at least th- <laughs> I know of at least three items. Any items that colors that match, you're gonna pull them off the board, keep one, put the others back into the draw bag. And then the way the board is designed, you push down on the edge nearest to you and it tilts towards you and everything slides down and fills in. And then you pull new plastic tokens from the bag to fill in the empty slots. And then it's the next person's turn. And what you're doing is you're collecting these items because at the beginning of the game, each person is given an objective card. And the objective may be get three of this color and two of this color. Or two of this color, two of this color, two of this color. Or mine was get five different colors. So as you play the game, you're trying to match whatever you can to get the colors that you need to complete your objective. The first one to it wins the game. It is a 20-minute game that is a blast to play from anywhere from one to four players. Okay. So uh, normally in outros, we try not to do games, but since you needed to do that, let's go ahead and do this. Potion Explosion, one of my favorite games. Yes. However, it is in the, whenever Mega Moose Con shows up, I'm going to sell it for $5. Uh Uh-oh, okay. Because I have Potion Explosion on the iPad, but you know as well as I do, you cannot plan your move. Because you don't know what's coming out. You don't know how it's going to flow. So when you say it's 20 minutes, I guess it is due to the fact that it is a very quick fill and you're not having to do interactions with potions and, and strategize and getting uh, chain reactions and all that. If, is there a chain reaction element to this? The more items that you match, the more things you may get to keep. Like if you match five items, match five colors, you get to keep two. You get to keep one of your color plus another color. Whenever you fill in the board, it may randomly happen where three of the same color come out and match. You get those also. So it's like, you know, when you did uh, like Bejeweled or whatever and you completed and new ones dropped mm-hmm. in. If it completed a three, at least three, it, it gave that reward to you. The exact same thing will happen here. But no, there's no other things that interact with the board at all. And is there a lot of uh, strategy in figuring out which one you want to pull or is it because the board is not that dynamic like potion explosion that it makes it easier to play. Oh, it's way easier to play. Okay. I mean, they have on here eight plus that's easy. There's no reading or anything. It's literally swap two things. Oh, and by the way, if there's ever a state of the board where there's no matches whatsoever, what you'll do do is pull one token out and draw one from the bag and put it in, then see if one can occur. So you're never going to be in a situation where you don't get at least something. It just may not be what you need. Let's say I've already got two purple. I've already got two red and one orange. If I just get one more orange, I can complete my objective. Well, you may get to you and there's no way to match three oranges. All right. Uh, well, it's important to know because that was the big downfall for Potion explosion. I still love the game, 
But mm-hmm. but if they say, why are you getting rid of it? Well, we'll never play it again because I have it on the iPad. And there's an yeah. example where an app has taken the place of the game. So anyway, I think it's, it's really well built. I think it's really cool how you tilt the board towards yourself and everything just kind of slides down and you fill it in. So it's well designed. Like I said, you teach it in literally... Have you played Candy Crush, Bejeweled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, it's the exact same game. Here's your secret objective. If you can do that, you win the game. You play. 20 minutes later, you put it away. Okay. Well, I uh, can't wait to see it someday. I mean, you talk about filler. This is it. Setting it up is really just pu- pulling random tokens out of the bag and, and throwing them on the board. Okay. That's it. Well, that's outstanding. So here's the deal. Yes. We finished dinner. I see yes. you drinking a massive soda. Yes. <laughs> so this is where we are in our lives as old men. It's time to hit the restroom. And so we're going to keep rolling dice. <laughs> Taking names. Yes, yes, we owe you two hours of your life back. If you want to come get on us for making too long of an episode, you can do so over at Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names. Hey, join our Discord channel where we are thinking about doing a secret squirrel or Secret Santa this Christmas. Of course, you can also follow us on Facebook and our BGG Guild 1589. What? You didn't hit record? What came unplugged? Is the is it stopped? I'm gonna have to drive over there and kick your ass right now. PortalGamesUS.com. They've got a bunch of banners flying them. And one of the ones that caught my eye was the Robinson Crusoe treasure chest. This game for my wife is one that without the beach, she would never let me play it again. <laughs> is the beach in the treasure chest? It, I wish it was. I wish, I wish there was. Is it not? Did he not put it in there? Well, the treasure chest is nothing more than just tokens. Oh, it would help if I read the banner. Yeah. Read the banner. I mean, it's all this really neat upgrades. I mean, they've got new cards in it. They've got bonus things, and you will get deluxe components. I mean, we're talking 18 wood, which, by the way, when I was at a beach, I could find driftwood all day long. I don't know what his problem was in the first scenario in Robinson. I could find it all day long. Seven fur, 12 food, five non-perishable food, one shelter, one camp, and five health tokens. But that's a pre-order bonus. That that is why pre-order. That's right, because it's a pre-order bonus. And if you want to get this game on the table and your friends aren't going to want to be beat down by this game, by the ferocity that it throws at you and the devastation it brings to you, this will help you get it to the table because it will look good. Plain and simple. Ignacy, once again, has solved a problem for you. Let's play Robinson Crusoe. No, we can't play Robinson Crusoe because it's so mean. But look at it. It's so pretty. Oh, those things are pretty. Let's play it. See what Ignacy did for you? Be sure to go get your pre-order in for the Robinson Crusoe treasure chest. That's at portalgamesus.com.